Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jaron Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, how do we unpack the relationship between the Black community and guns? Before we get into the show this week, gee, I have so many questions. What is on your mind this week, my dear? Oh, Shauna, Shauna, Shauna. I've been really perturbed this week because there are two stories um, in red states, no surprise there, from Republican governors that really shows uh, just the continue, the continued uh, pervasive, like anti-Black, pro-mass incarceration that we often see from the GOP. So in Alabama, uh, the governor, Kay Ivey, she is about to sign or has already signed uh, a bill that would procure $400 million of COVID money not to reduce the, the impact of COVID in her community, in her state, not to address mental health that has been more uh, complicated because of COVID and the pandemic, but to build more prisons. She is using these funds to not only build three new prisons, but to provide a better infrastructure, in her words, of existing prisons in Alabama. And, uh, you know, we know the, co- the, the, the complicated history of prisons and, and how essentially it's just slavery 2.0. And, it, and just to give our listeners a little uh, some stats about this, in Alabama, Black people make up 28% of Alabama, but they make up 43% of the jail population um, and 54% of those in prison. So in jail, 43% and in prison, 54%. That is a huge disproportionate number of Black people in prisons. And so when I hear, I want to use COVID money to build more prisons, I think I hear, I want to use COVID money to put more Black people in prisons. And obviously this has upset a lot of people. And just if you thought that that wasn't enough, um, in Missouri, we have the case of Ernest Johnson who uh, is set to be executed because of a murder. He murdered three people and advocates, even, even the Pope and Congresswoman Cori Bush have asked Governor Mike Parson to um, to stop and halt this execution to allow Ernest Johnson to serve life in prison as opposed to being executed. And this is because while we can have a debate about whether or not Ernest Johnson deserves to remain behind bars, um, the reality is that he his IQ Uh, puts him at uh, the mental capacity of a 10-year-old. He is deemed intellectually disabled. And the idea of of putting someone, committing someone to death who likely doesn't even remember what happened uh, during those murders, uh, it doesn't have the capacity to understand what is about to happen to him. It just feels really inhumane. And it really makes me upset because the United States, we often, you know, when we pledge allegiance, we pledge allegiance to God. We always bring God into everything. And this doesn't feel like anything that God would, would sanction. I don't believe God granted us the power to decide who gets to live and who gets to die, regardless of what we do. Um, and when you have the Pope of all people, like the Pope uh, in recent years has changed the, the, the Catholic Church's position on 
on uh, capital punishment. And there's a reason because when you, if you have a conscious, if you say you believe in God, you believe in compassion, this isn't the way to go. And it really just frustrates me that this is the position that we often see from the GOP because they talk about life when it comes to abortion. And we've talked extensively about you know, the, the abortion bill that came out of Texas. And here we are having a discussion about life, but it seems like when it comes to black life, especially lives that who are behind prisons, that their lives don't matter as much. And I believe that we should have uh, a more, more equality when we talk about life. And it just really, it really frustrates me because I am obviously not a proponent of capital punishment. Um, and I'm also not necessarily a proponent for uh, prisons. Although I think that if you are a danger to society, uh, that you, there should be, you should be in prison at least for a period of time until to give, to allow you the ability to have rehabilitation. But for someone like Ernest Johnson, who is not a threat to society, at least not anymore, uh, it just feels really inhumane. And I think that what's happening in Alabama of building prisons and what's happening in uh, Missouri in terms of like how we treat the prison population is very connected, is very anti-Black. Um, and we, it makes me really ashamed to, to be an American when I see these type of policy positions throughout our country. Well, I mean, for me, none of that surprises me, which is actually really heartbreaking when you really think about it, um, that I'm not surprised that I'm, it's nothing about that shakes me to my core because Alabama going Alabama and Missouri going Missouri in my mind. Uh, and I think it just speaks to there has got to come a time <laughs> in which we as a collective people are sick and tired of the GOP's hypocritical nature. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't really know how we how we move past that, um, you know, outside of <laughs> eradicating the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, speaking of hypocrites. Uh, you know, the hip hop industry and really the music industry just in general tends to shield so many hypocrites and so many predators. And a lot of the times I'm feeling like they are one and the same. Um, and this I'm talking about just a few things that have disappointed me. Last week, R. Kelly was convicted finally. Um, facing many, many years in prison um, for essentially sex trafficking and the abuse of women, girls, and and some, you know, young boys and men. Chuck D, <laughs> one of the legendary members of hip hop, posed a question on his Twitter that I get very, I'm going to read what he wrote. <laughs> so he wrote, abused in his youth, an addict as an adult, Ike Turner served 18 months in prison. Rick James did similar time. Ike came out a changed, positive human being. How long should R. Kelly spend in prison? And does a USA system give a man a chance for a man to change his world around? Reading that and trying to, I'm going to use a mean girls reference, trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> is so annoying to watch because again, 
We are we forgetting R. Kelly had the opportunity for change. You know when R. Kelly had the opportunity for change? When he impregnated Aaliyah. R. Kelly had the opportunity for change when her parents made them, you know, annul that marriage. R. Kelly had an opportunity for change when the videotape first came out. R. Kelly had an opportunity for change when he was acquitted. None of those things happened. And up until that man got sent to the clink, was still doing harm to our community. Why are we so, why, what, what is this redemption story that we're looking for? I don't understand it. And while I can empathize with R. Kelly's story, R. Kelly's history of himself being abused, of all of the things that is going on, you know, all of that, I can empathize with that. But what I will never do is allow, is make excuses for someone who has been harmed, who has turned around and decided to do harm to others. It's ridiculous. And it just reminded me of KRS-One and Africa Bambada. Africa Bambada has been, uh, he has a long history (laughs) of, uh, you know, potentially molesting young boys um, throughout hip hop time. Uh, And I remember this, this interview, I think it was on Drink Champions that um, KRS-One did where he says, for me, if you keep it hip hop, nothing can be taken away from Africa Bambada. Nothing. Just keep it hip hop. But if you want to dig into dude's personal life and accusations that being made and so on, personally, I don't give a F. Look, if somebody was harmed or whatever, y'all got to deal with that ish. Deal with that. That don't stop hip hop. That don't stop what you did for hip hop. Are you kidding? What? I don't care. Listen, y'all keep trying, y'all keep trying to take these contributions that these, these men have made to the culture and make that as it precludes them from any kind of critique. It precludes them from being any bit of held responsible. It's disgusting and it's sick. And in that vein, the source.com, and I understand why you did it, but even still wishing Russell Simmons a happy birthday. I see what time y'all are on. Good luck with that. But that's all my thoughts. That's all I had to say. <laughs> oh, hip hop. You know, one thing about hip hop is that, you know, while hip hop is uh, as a culture has done uh, great things for our culture, um, it also does harm. And I'll leave it there. Uh, but speaking of harm, you know, a conversation that often we talk about harm is guns. But I think it's important for us to have more nuanced conversations about gun ownership. Um, because not all people who own guns want to cause harm. Um, and I really uh, want us to challenge people to talk more about guns in a more healthy way, because gun ownership among Black Americans is on the rise. Just last year, during the height of the protests following the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, the president of the National African American Gun Association said that the organization was receiving 2,000 membership requests per day. And that's a lot. And what's more, the FBI says that they saw a 77% increase in gun-related background checks in 2020. And as the numbers soar, we're seeing efforts to change the narrative around who has the right to bear arms and what it means to be a lawful gun owner. This week, we're joined by Damon Finch, the Northeast Regional President of the National African-American Gun Association. We'll talk to him about his organization's mission and get his thoughts on this growing trend. So let's get into it.
So Shauna, let's talk about Black people and guns. Now, obviously, we know the Black Panthers. I think some people sometimes forget that the original name of the Black Panthers was Black Panthers for Self-Defense. And at the center of this organization was uh, they were proponents for gun ownership. In fact, you know, one could argue that they were the first um, gun rights advocates and they taught people how to properly use guns. They advocated for black people having a gun to protect themselves. Um, they often walked around, you know, we famously see these Black Panther images of them carrying rifles, um, being at state capitals, which ultimately led to, you know, California passing a law uh, that, 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 that stopped them from doing that. They made it illegal to have a gun on state grounds because of these images. Um, and, you know, I personally, I don't uh, own a gun. I grew up in a household where there was a gun. I don't care to own a gun. But given the history of, you know, Black people in America, it makes every sense why one wants, wants to own a gun. And we saw the NRA actually, you know, right now we know the NRA as an organization that is for, you know, gun rights. But during the times of the Black Panthers, they were actually anti-gun. They wanted gun regulation because for some reason, the idea and the image of Black people with guns put so much fear in then and even now, I would suspect, puts a lot of fear in some, I'm not going to say all, some white people, because I think that white people continuously hold on to this hysteria that Black people will someday uh, seek revenge, that Black people will do to white people what white people did to Black people for centuries. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a really uh, interesting dynamic when we think about guns and, you know, we, we have the issue of gun violence, where especially in our communities, we're plagued by gun violence. But then you have people who um, just believe that it's important to have the right to bear arms, which is our Second Amendment right. And so while on a personal level, I might not be pro-gun on a policy level, um, I support it because if, if white people can own guns, so should black people. And we should be able to bear arms this, in the same way that white people do. But Shauna, did you grow up in a house where there were guns? Uh, do you own a gun? Would you own a gun? <laughs> uh, so my dad did have a gun. Um, myself and my mother have never seen it. Uh, he apparently still has their gun. I don't know where that man hides that. That's not my business. Um, <laughs> it's not my business at all. Uh, my grandmother, you know, she lives by herself in Florida. My grandmother has a ton of guns. She is a, she, she goes to the gun range. She is very fluent in, in gun ownership. Now for me, myself personally, um, if we could get every single gun, and I mean like from the military, from the police, from these white people, from black people, from these gang members, everything, and just melt them all down and just never see another gun again, that would be perfection in my mind. However, we don't live like that. And I'm moving to Georgia soon. So, <laughs> uh, you know, being, I, I personally have two reasons of 
um, as soon as I get to Georgia, I will be purchasing a gun. I will be applying for a gun license as well as a concealed carry license. Uh, and my two reasons are one, because I'm a woman and two, because I'm a black woman. Um, you know, for, and I, and I know that especially violence against women, which it can be from a partner. It can be from a complete stranger. It can be from a maintenance man, you know, shout out to, uh, you know, rest in peace, Mia Marcano, like all of these things, but the idea of living in the South with white people who we've seen how ugly they've become over the last few years. Uh, especially as it has anything to do with race relations. Yeah, I'm not going to get caught slipping like that. So my goal is to get educated on guns. I don't need to own an AK-47 or anything like that. Give me a cute little baby gun I can put in my purse <laughs> and, and I'm good. But I, 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 in all honesty, I admire gun owners from the perspective of, again, you're not here to just own a bunch of these guns that can kill a lot of people in a short amount of time. No, no, no. You're here for the education of gun ownership. You're there for protection of your family and protection of your person. So I'm all for it. Second, you know, Mm -hmm. second amendment, second amendment me. (laughs) Well, I'll just quickly say that I don't want to own a gun really ever. Um, And I take the position uh, more of MLK. Some people might not know that MLK, while he advocated for civil disobedience and nonviolence. He was a proponent for guns and then changed his mind. I'm going to just close out reading this quote from MLK. And that is, I was much more afraid in Montgomery when I had a gun in my house. When I decided that I couldn't keep a gun, I came face to face with the question of death and I dealt with it. From that point on, I no longer needed a gun, nor have I been afraid. That's one position, but we also are excited to introduce today's guest, who can share a bit more about gun ownership in the Black community. Damon Finch is the Northeast National Director for the National African American Gun Association and the president and founder of the Hudson Valley Nubian Gun Club. He has worked in public safety since 1989 in various roles, from serving as a United States Air Force security policeman to working in the private sector as an executive protection specialist. He is also a New York State Department of Homeland Security Master Instructor and NAAGA Firearms Instructor and also an EMT. Damon, welcome to Dear Culture. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, extremely excited for this and uh, it's just an honor to uh, step into this realm of people who hopefully are similarly minded in expressing just information out to the public. Ah, absolutely. So as G said, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I wanted to just really kind of start off. Let's let's lay the groundwork. Right. So can you talk to us specifically about the history of like black gun ownership in this country? Um, You know, there are definitely obstacles for black folks to encounter uh, gun ownership (laughs) over time. Um, you know, the whole idea of Second Amendment rights and bearing arms, et cetera, et cetera. If you can give us just a little bit of a little historical clarification about Black folks and gun ownership, um, that would be great. Okay, great. Uh, For us to really talk about gun ownership in America, we really have to talk about just 
just history in it, in itself. In the 1400s, when the Chinese alchemists, fancy word for uh, religious chemists, uh, tried to create a substance that was trying to make man last forever. You know, we right now in today's times, we have the creams, exercises, a little snippet here, a little snippet there. We try to live forever. Uh, the problem was that that substance exploded and gunpowder was uh, invented which then just changed the entire trajectory of the military arts, also known as martial arts. People such as the samurai, uh, the knights, the Templars, the, the, the Zulus, uh, and uh, the various Egyptians, various cultures who have trained in military arts their entire lives for either personal protection or to feed their families can now be taken out from, um, from this one technology called a firearm, where a person a quarter mile away with zero training was able to change the whole balance. Uh, obviously, uh, less than 100 years later, we have uh, the so-called story of Columbus coming to America. And then, of course, 200 years later, in 1619, the beginning of that slave trade, uh, you know, uh, dealing with the Middle Passage and people take uh, using greed and free labor to try to own other human beings. Uh, as that technology moved through time, uh, People of our kind eventually said, you know, it's time for us to defend ourselves. And then, of course, prior to that, we were defending ourselves, but we didn't have the technology necessary. Uh, le leading all the way up to today, you know, we, we, we have the Black Panther Party uh, of the past. You'll have the Deacons of Defense, who actually was the protectors of Martin Luther King and so forth. OK, uh, you know. The firearm, it's a tool. It, it, it's a tool just like anything else, a spoon, a fork, a knife that is used initially to feed your family. And also, God forbid, if someone is trying to hurt you, defend you. Uh, we were taught after slavery that it was not okay for us as people to defend ourselves. We were taught that uh, if, if we were together collectively talking about protecting each other, we were considered a gang. Uh, me growing up originally in New York City, the only people who possessed guns was cops, bad guys, and 16-year-olds on a roof. Mm -hmm. you dig? Uh, and, and the reality was I wasn't 16 at the time. So uh, I really wasn't experienced in that world where there are people of other cultures at age three, four, five years old you know, they're given a rifle, they're given a shotgun, and mom and dad is teaching them about that world. Mm -hmm. So now as adults, we, we think it's taboo. You know, we, we think it's, it, it's scary just to say the word gun in public or something's going to happen to us or someone's going to think that we're some kind of crazy person that's, you know, going to try to rob a bank or, or, or another person or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. uh, the history of firearms in America really stemmed from the point that uh, just like any, any species, uh, you need the tools necessary to defend yourselves or history will always uh, repeat itself. So with organizations like National African American Gun Association established in 2015, uh, Mr. Smith took a look at that. He looked at, took a look at the need of more education for people when dealing with firearms and uh, created this great organization that we're here to talk about today. And Damon, I want to, you, you kind of laid this out very beautifully and I love how you refer to guns as technology. Uh, which I don't think is the, a language that we often hear when we talk about guns. And there are likely a, a myriad of reasons why Black people decide to purchase a gun, to own a gun. And from your uh, expert vantage point, 
What would you say are the driving or the driver of Black people purchasing guns? Is it to protect themselves? Is it uh, for hunting? As I know, I have family in the South who love to hunt. What do you think is the reason? Obviously, I can't speak on behalf of all people. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, One thing about the the beauty of the African-American or or the black community is we just come from all, you know, just all spectrums. Uh, However, the patterns that I've happened to notice that people are looking for firearms, obviously employment, if that's your trade, such as law enforcement, security, you're protecting your business, uh, uh, other people for uh, personal protection, people traveling late at night, uh, individuals going from point A to point B, worried about uh, individuals trying to break into their home or they need to protect their family. And then of course you have sport, uh, sport hunting, um, individuals might go target shooting or just like the feeling of just like someone would play golf, someone would play darts, they would like to play with that firearm in areas where, uh, where it's obviously legally allowed to do. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed over the last couple of years was a significant amount of black women. I believe they said over the last year, 58% uh, black women are, are, are the, uh, the gun owners, uh, at least the new gun owners that's, that's been taking over uh, this, this, this beautiful uh, sport that, that, that we've been running here. Uh, uh, so, so, so there's obviously various reasons why people would uh, be interested in owning a firearm, learning more about a firearm. As you may know, there's many states where there's no training that's required. And uh, the beauty of our organization is we specifically think about how can we not only help people get that, that, that tool, but then train them how to properly use it safely, um, yeah, with, with, with intelligence and calm and understanding the local laws of what you can and can't do, God forbid you're, you're in a very dangerous situation. So, uh, and this is going to be an interesting uh, question because the NRA, right, uh, throughout the years, uh, especially the NRA has seemingly been a very, the NRA is not for us, in my opinion, right? It's, 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 it's you know, we've seen them take no action as it related to gun control after Columbine, which I think I was a junior in high. No, I was in junior high school. uh, So middle school when that actually happened. Um, Sandy Hook, we saw children being killed, like elementary school children. There were no there was no outcry from the NRA as it related to Philando Castile, who got killed after he was, you know, said to the officer, I'm legally carrying a firearm like this. It's on my person. And there is there was nothing. Um, What do you what are your thoughts on, I guess, black folks complicated relationship with the NRA? Like, should we be joining them or should we just be, you know, sticking to our National African-American Gun Association? And that's (laughs) it. Like, what should we be doing? You know, just like uh, the question of what are you wearing on your feet? Are you wearing high heels? Are you wearing sneakers? And why do you wear your high heels versus sneakers versus sandals? Mm -hmm. It's to each his own. It's what you're most comfortable with uh, regarding what is your why. If you're looking for getting state certifications, as an example, 
Right now, the NRA is recognized in many states uh, as a certification that will allow a person to get their pistol permit. Meanwhile, other organizations don't have that same ability uh, to do so. Um, if you're interested in the politics of organizations like the NRA, that's one conversation. If you're interested in the training uh, that the NRA gives regarding uh of firearm safety and uh, use of force and things along those lines, that's a different conversation. I, I tend to stay away from the politics of an organization that claims that they're a training organization. Um, I, I have various positions on the history of, of, of that organization. I, I myself um, am a member. I'm a training counselor with them also. However, uh, my loyalty is more to, uh, to uh, National African-American Gun Association because it only makes sense to take care of my own. So it's, you know, it's, uh, if it's about the politics of an organization, they have the way that they do things. We have the way that we do things. And uh, I feel closer to following the, uh, the template that the National African-American Gun Association follows over uh, the, the other organizations. And another complicated part of this discussion about Black people and guns is something that's very obvious in Black and Brown communities, and that is gun violence. Um, Black people are disproportionately impacted by gun violence. We've been seeing a rise in uh, not just crime, but gun-related crime in the U.S., and particularly in certain cities that are um, concentratedly more Black. And so I want to ask you, like, how do we balance um, this issue of gun violence in Black communities while also having this discussion about empowering people to own guns and properly use guns? That's a great question. Obviously, it's a complicated question. We can spend days, months, or even years uh, talking about that. Uh, when we do talk about things like critical race theory, people get scared. Uh, for you to talk about the future, you have to take on the lessons of the past. And lessons of the past is if you have a system that is keeping individuals from earning, first of all, a living, uh, you, you're now going to prison by age uh, two or three times by age 23, 24, and now you're finally want to do better in your life and you can't find a job uh, besides stepping into the alternatives uh, such as drug dealing and pro prostitution or whatever other things that lead toward uh, going back to prison. Uh, yes, they may use the tool illegally to try to uh, forward themselves, but there are other uh situations that cause this violence. Uh, as an example, uh, uh, was it three times, you know, there are three times more likely to be killed by the, by the police than any other group of people. Mm. Okay. Uh, situations where there are, there are less mediation programs, uh, less uh, community uh, restorative programs uh, within the African-American community, less opportunities for a job. And if you do start getting a job, once you hit a financial uh, level, all of a sudden they will take away your opportunities to feed your family, which then sometimes forces people to, so for, uh, to as they claim, do what they need to do to survive. Uh, uh, conflict resolution. There's many organizations out there that, that, that focus on conflict resolution and educating people that there's alternatives to using that firearm to deal with whatever the problems are. 
And then, of course, you have people who try to blame music as if it's the music's fault, as if it's the gun's fault, as if it's uh, the, the, the leaves are falling off the trees fault. It's summertime's fault. It's the south. It's the north. Not enough air conditioners. You know, it, that's just excuses. Mm-hmm. The truth is we have a system that 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 has to be fixed, that uh, came to fruition, that people started to notice more after the, uh, the horrible thing that happened to George Floyd. Uh, where with, with the Black Lives Matter movement and the communication that's out there where people are now saying, hey, let's take a look at at the, the system as a whole instead of just blaming the assault weapons or the, or, or the revolvers or the semi-automatic guns or saying that, okay, if a person has 11 bullets instead of 10 bullets, we're less likely to die. Um, it, it, it's making excuses instead of figuring out solutions to uh, fixing the challenges that, that we've been dealing with uh, since we've been in this country. And I mean, just from a personal note, I mean, I've noticed the last few years, like, and, and granted, that was because of a lot of things that were happening from a political as well as cultural landscape, uh, you know, Trump and <laughs> that situation and Right. You know, uh, and and seeing, you know, there's been a I mean, we've always known that there is a level of evil. Right. Um, as it relates to race relations and, and things of that nature, especially in this country. Um, and there were a lot of things that were hidden beneath the surface that he he went and scratched right to the right to the forefront. Um, and so I, one thing that I clearly remember, especially last year around the height of all of the like racial injustice marches and, and things of that nature were seeing groups of white folks with their guns and such, and they're, you know, marching for their rights to be white and blah, 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 and white is okay, and all this other stuff. And I distinctly remember, I, I wish I could remember the, the actual story of the town, um, but there was one march that was planned with all these white folks with their guns, and it was obviously in an attempt to intimidate the, the inhabitants of <laughs> the community there. Um, and we saw like black militia groups coming out the woodwork, like with their own, you know, they were like, listen, we can make the job of saying if you want to, like, <laughs> you know, what's going on here? Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Like, is it just another one of those things of, okay, well, we, we could show you that we got these guns too, or should we be doing something more? Should we be, you know, hitting up legislation and, and, I mean, I, I think it's it's fascinating to think, you know, open carry in California was a thing until the Black Panthers started walking around with their guns. You know, like what should we be doing as a as a culture, as a community um, and help? Should we should we be working to eradicate guns altogether? Like if is that going to be the way to stop, <laughs> you know, all of the the, the gun violence and random shootings and everything else that's happening like do we need to start showing like we're oh no so all the all the negroes are buying the guns so now you can make legislation about it like what i'm i'm so confused (laughs) as to what are the what are the proper steps that we should be taking as a culture as a people uh can you repeat the question Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm not playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. Loaded question. I apologize. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, obviously, that, that there's a lot there. Uh, when you start talking about what happened in the last administration, obviously, 
uh, tribalism came out at its best, where you want to cause it racism, prejudice, whatever the isms that it's out there, tribalism truly existed. Uh, people, some people just wasn't used to being stressed. Uh, we've been stressed. We've been dealing with that. That's that's nothing but a Thursday to us, us being on lockdown, us dealing with COVID, us dealing with uh, whatever the issues are of the time. That's just another day of the week for people like us. Other people, you know, marching up and down the street because they can't get a haircut, they claim. All right. With, with guns. Uh, let, let, let's be frail. <laughs> OK, buy some clippers, get a Floby. You know, it's <laughs> you can work that out. Uh, obviously, it wasn't about uh, getting a haircut. Obviously, it wasn't about that. It was about the fact that for the first time, they didn't have their so-called freedom uh, that existed. Uh, they didn't have the ability to move as they as they chose to. And everything became conspiracy f- uh, fueled by uh, uh, one group of individuals. In in the same conversation, uh, they exercise their constitutional right of freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. The beauty of this country is you can hate as many people as you choose, if you choose, as long as you don't take away the rights of other people. Then you have other organizations that then showed up and that were counter protests to their conversation as you indicated, uh, uh, showing up with their firearms, okay, uh, NFAC group or something like that, I think the name was, okay, I, I might have said the name wrong, and I apologize if any members are listening, all right, but they also had a constitutional right to state their position, um, once again, as long as they didn't take away the rights of others, they, it was a, a freedom of assembly, freedom of press, freedom to disagree with the government, freedom to travel from point A to point B, and they did it unapologetically, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, they communicate on a different wavelength than our organization. That We're not saying it's okay to do that or not to do that. Uh, however, they do have a constant, constitutional right to, to, uh, to carry themselves that way. Um, However, the root to, to everything we're just talking about here is, you know, the, the reality is I wish guns never existed. Mm. However, it exists. All right. Uh, if they never existed, who knows? You and I might be on one of those, uh, be, you know, watching the beautiful sunsets of Africa and just enjoying uh, uh, nature at its best and dealing with whatever it is. You know, I, I enjoyed that Black Panther movie and seeing what it could have been, you know. And uh, however, that's not the world that we're in. The reality is you have people who came from where there's abundance. And then you have people who came from areas where um, supplies and food and everything and weather conditions were extremely harsh. And they taught their children their perception of survival of the fittest, which was take from others and be unapologetic about it. We don't come from that. Uh, A lot of people are so scared of African-Americans having guns because they're so concerned about us being revengeful. Mm. You know what? Revenge. We just want equality. <laughs> we just want to be left alone. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, when we're in, in, in a group uh, with our firearms, we're not conspiring to take down a city or state or a town or, or run through a federal building, uh, scream and kill the vice president. That's not how we move. That's not even how we think. And that's not our frequency. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what, what, what we do is we, 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 we get together. Uh, something interesting happened recently. Uh, our, our local gun club, I'm the, uh, the president of the Hudson Valley uh, Nubian Gun Club in New York. And we went to a mostly uh, Caucasian um, 
shooting range recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of our, of our, of our uh, members are mostly black, Hispanic, people of color. And, but uh, these guys were very nice and allowed us to shoot at their range uh, as their guest. Um, we're at the range, we're shooting, you know, we're, we're doing our thing. Uh, and then I happen to look over to the right of me and I see many members of the other club just standing there with their mouths open. Mm-hmm. They didn't get me. And I'm thinking it was, uh, and they, they must be tripping out because they're watching how we move. Mm-hmm. But they were really tripping out because they were watching how we move. <laughs> we're playing Eric B and Rakim while, you know, shooting guns. You know, where, you know, one guy's quoting Miles Davis while shooting, shooting a firearm. You know, um, uh, we, you know, we're, 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 we're moving to a whole different frequency. You know, people bopping their heads, singing lyrics to songs while, 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 while shooting at, at the range, just having a good time and laughing. We're not, you know, we're not focusing on shooting silhouettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my pet peeves that, that I have when I go to many of these uh, shooting uh, uh, ranges is the silhouettes are shaped like bald black people. Yeah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I said, no, I, I, we, get, we need to change this up. Give me the color green. Give me anything but that silhouette. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not allowing you to put into your psyche while I'm present. Okay. Mm-hmm. In your subconscious uh, that, that every time you see that silhouette that looks like a relative of mine, it's okay to aim center mass at. And some people hear my message, others, you know, they get offended, but it is what it is. The beauty of our organization is we're unapologetically about who we are. Uh, a person asks us, what are we doing to reach out to other communities to bring them into our group? We don't. The Italian club doesn't do that. The Korean club doesn't do that. All right. What we do is we'll talk about our agenda. You're welcome to come to our world. Like we like any anything else, you can come to our nightclubs, you can come to our house parties, you can come to our shooting ranges. All right, uh, you know we don't exclude people, but we're not going to go out searching for you. Uh, what we say is, if you want to come into this world and learn more about this world, the doors are open. Huh, message. <laughs> like like the church, the doors are open, right? <laughs> the doors are open. Come on in. <laughs> Message. <laughs> you see, even that. What other culture would have understood that? Don't even get the references, child. I, I, <laughs> you know, it's uh, <laughs> no matter what your age is, you caught it. You know, mm-hmm. so so that's what we're about. It, it's it's having a good time, having those good laughs learning, but also being ready that God forbid, if someone tries to bring it, you're in a position where your family can still survive. So my final question to you, uh, you know, you touched on uh, black women. You've seen this, this uptick in, in my sisters out here trying to protect themselves. Uh, what is your advice to women you know, like myself, like I'm, I'm going to be moving out of New York soon. I'm going down to the South. I'm like, oh, one of the first things I'm doing is getting a gun. Some men are crazy. These white folks are a little bit, you know, <laughs> they're losing a little, a little out of touch. Uh, what is your advice to, especially to women looking to own guns? Um, also to people, I guess, in general, who kind of like Jaren, who are a little bit pacifists, who are like, no, I don't really <laughs> want to touch the, the, the gun aspect. It, like, what, what would you say to them? To answer that question, you have to, once again, go back to your why. Mm-hmm. What is your reasoning? Is it personal protection? Is it, is it employment? Is it traveling? Is it for home protection? Um, 
going back to being a person who's anti-gun or against guns. Okay, that's great. You should be. All right. If, if, if you're comfortable with that, you, you, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that. There's many trainings that we do without guns. What to do is stop by the police. What to do if there's a medical emergency? What if someone next to you gets hurt? How do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are many classes that we teach where we use training guns or simulation guns or whatever else. Shoot, don't shoot scenarios. I would say for both groups of individuals, start with education. Just sit in a firearm safety class. Mm. Here, uh, the, the difference between what the media says uh, versus what the reality of gun ownership is. Uh, more people die from suicide than gun violence. Okay. Um, so it's, it, 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 it's, it's not like how they make it seem like people running up and down the streets, shooting other people with these, with these firearms. It's very rare when a licensed uh, law abiding gun owner uh, uses that, that firearm for, for violence um, uh, or, or, or um, you know, to hurt other people in any way. So I would say you really start with just take a class. Sit in a class, okay. If you're in New York, I'll I'll give you a class, okay. Not a problem. It's it, it it's uh, there are many instructors out there. Whether you're talking about NRA, USCCA, um, NAAGA, and so many other organizations out there that's here to give you education. Um, compare, hear what one group says, hear what another group says, and if both they're saying something that's similar, that's the direction to go. Uh, step away from the, uh, the male chauvinist that says, well, you're a woman, this is what you need to do, mm. versus uh, speak to other women that are like-minded that uh, may also have similar uh, uh, travel uh, um, business opportunities as you and you know, communicate with them. Have a, uh, a day where you and the ladies will uh, uh, come to the range and we'll sit and educate you on, um, not, if not me, another instructor on just uh, what the, the right things to do with that firearm is. And going back to that person who uh, may be so against firearms, just remember, it's, it's simply a tool, a tool, anything else, a car in the wrong hands could hurt others. Same as a firearm. And going back, Damon, to, you know, this this conversation around Im- the image of a black person and a gun and the stereotypes that continue to uh, prevail as it relates to gun ownership in the black community. How do we change that narrative, that stereotype, so that we can have more, more full conversations about gun ownership in the black community? Doing exactly what we're doing here, having this conversation, uh, speaking to people, it's, it's interesting. When I first uh, created uh, Hudson Valley Nubian Gun Club, a uh, person says to me, uh, I really don't want to have a picture of me taken and put on a website. And I said, why not? Oh, uh, well, because I don't want people to know I have a gun. And I said, I, I understand that, but we're more of a social and education club than a domestic violence outreach center. Um, we're all about letting people know about our brand. Yeah, Naga is 40,000 people deep. Uh, our gun club, we have uh, in, in one year over 200 and something members. And we want to let people know that we're here. We're here to educate you because there's a lot of people that have firearms that just don't know what to do with it. 
they have, they've never been in a range. They, they feel uncomfortable going into certain types of gun stores because the people in the store doesn't look like them. They're scared to ask questions. You know, something as simple as if you say, um, instead of calling the, the thing that holds the bullet a magazine, if you call the clip, the whole room will yell at you. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. You know, I know what you meant. You know what you meant. So let's discuss it. So uh, to, to change that narrative, it's really about having these conversations so people can see that the individuals who are these gun owners are doctors, they're dentists, they're lawyers, they're musicians. OK, they're 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 professionals. That, that's the person delivering your mail. That is the person that, you know, that that, that, that that's your therapist. It's not just just street thugs that's that, that, that's going around robbing people. Or it's not just uh, police officers, even though many of our of our members are also come from security and law enforcement. Um, uh, but but the narrative is just just ex- educating people that it, it's just like having a hairbrush. OK, it's just like having a, a, a suit. It's just like uh, getting your hair did. It's just another thing to do on a Saturday, Sunday, Monday or whenever else you want to um, receive training, sit in a class or just carry from point A to point B. It's a tool. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Sure. <laughs> well, Damon, thank you so much for your expertise. I think that you have educated uh, not only me and Shauna, but our listeners. We really appreciate you dropping that knowledge. And to see more of the Griot's original reporting on the surge in Black gun ownership in the wake of last year's racial uprisings, head to our website, www.thegrio.com. We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Bridal Babes. Bridal Babes is a Black-owned, woman-led boutique for brides and bridesmaids specializing in providing gowns and accessories. Co-founder Ashley Young says she created the boutique with her husband, Charles, after she had a difficult time finding the perfect dress for her special day. The boutique caters to folks of all beautiful shapes and sizes, and they even offer virtual consultations for brides and bridal parties. To learn more about Bridal Babes, visit their website, www.bridalbabes.co. That's B-R-I-D-A-L-B-A-B-E-S dot C-O. You can also follow them on Instagram at Bridal Babes. The Greer has published a list of 50 plus black businesses to support during the coronavirus pandemic. If you'd like your business to be featured, email us at info at That's G-R-I-O dot com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions and compliments. We love those to podcasts at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Blue Toulousma and co-produced by Taji Sr., Sydney Enriquez-Payne, and Abdul Kadus. 